0: hi
1: my name is john i'm justin
0: and this is our simply stupid podcast and we have a guest it's justin's um uh yes friend yeah and then Ju- um no john's friends also yeah
1: yeah he's my uh, friend from south korea
0: uh, my name is justin
1: uh, go ahead and
0: yeah.
1: daniel all
2: right hey nice to meet you guys my name is daniel as ever mentioned i'm a friend of john's and justin's (laughs) i'm originally from south korea i currently study at the university of california berkeley
0: damn wow okay so you're an international student and what's it like being an international student in the united states and how is it different from uh korea and taiwan um did you have any hard time transitioning into college
2: Yeah. So for that, let me just give you like an overview of like where I schooled in um, for the listeners. So I, well, as I said, I'm from South Korea. So I attended a few years of my elementary uh, school in Korea. I was in Canada for a while. And then I came back to a Korean middle school to attend it for a year and a half. And then I moved to a Taiwanese international school um, and spent my high school years there. Then I transitioned into uh, an American education system at Cal. So what's it like being an international student? I guess, I mean, there's pros and cons to everything. One con, obviously, to get it out of the way, the time zone difference. And um, colleges spend a lot of time and effort trying to accommodate for people like me to accommodate the time differences and the hardships that we go through. But the reality is um, it can't be fully accommodated. (laughs) Um, Lectures, obviously, you can't engage as much. Your sleep schedule is going to be affected. And if you are involved in any other clubs and student organizations, the meeting times are going to be kind of whack for you. And you have to be the one accommodating for those times, because if you have 100 people from Cal and like two international students, obviously, it's not going to be the case that the majority will accommodate for the minority. Um, So that's that. Uh, I think that's the main troubling factor for me. Um, Nothing else hasn't really been Mm. too much of a struggle. But that has been the case so far in this virtual semester.
0: Mm, okay. Um, so I uh, just wanted to um, talk about real quick. Um, was, it, was there any cultural difference that you experienced uh, compared to Korea and the Taiwanese school compared to the United States?
2: Yeah, thankfully, I was um, able to get a taste of what it's like to study in America by attending an international school in Taiwan. Obviously, it's not the same, but somewhat similar. Um, and unlike the traditional experience I had back in Korea. To explain that further, uh, we, we go by this like calling the South Korean education a banking education system where the teachers and instructors kind of serve as like the central bank providing feeding information to the students and the students job is to kind of um, not really digest that information, but to memorize it simply because that's what you are tested in um, Korean schools. And I believe that's the case for most traditional countries in Asia as well for China. And we have this entrance college entrance exam. It's like the biggest factor. One of the biggest factors that depend where you go to college and sometimes even where you end up in life, because, well, it's a really hierarchical culture in South Korea. And that's a totally different discussion as well, but just (laughs) remaining on the education side, Uh, There's this super big um, entrance exam. So you have to do obviously really well on it. And if you do not get the result that you have anticipated, you spend another year or two or a few more years um, trying to get a better score. And if that doesn't even work out, people um, transition into going to a college in Japan or China or different nearby countries. So I guess that's one um, negative perception or thought process that people have on international students is that they only went to the states or wherever they went to escape the korean education system Mm. and um say that wasn't the case for me but um it's unfortunate that um people have that perception and i feel it many of um especially parents who have children who um studies for the entrance exam year after year they have this specific perception um, on international students a negative perception per se and yeah that's that's unfortunate because not everyone left the country to necessarily quote-unquote escape the current education system Um, just but just to find another path that they want to get into right Um, and I didn't really have any choice when studying abroad so that was just the case for me but um, yeah that's the case.
1: Wait I have a question about this entrance exam like what, what does it consist of?
2: It depends on uh which field you want to get into, but there are some um common subjects that apply to everyone, and then there are additional subjects that depend on your major. But um, it's a yeah, it's an yeah big basically SAT, tests. but um
0: on steroids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's
2: like an SAT. You can only take once a year,
0: and then you um if you don't get a good score, you just have to take it next year, and then if you don't, you yeah.
2: Yeah, but the, the thing about SAT in America is that there are alternatives. Like you can take the ACT, or mm-hmm. e- even if you don't take those standardized tests, you have other options to get into. Korea, you have to take it, so yeah, you know, it's mandatory and it's the biggest factor I think in determining where you end up. So
0: in life, yeah. So yeah, hit it, John. Um, so you you already went to Berkeley, right? You've like
1: been there, but before the, all the zooms, right? Okay, right. How is a party culture there? Do you feel like you fit How's in? The party culture. Yeah. Um,
2: the good thing about Berkeley for me is that the school is extremely big, like forty thousand undergrads. So there are different party scenes where you can get into. So although you might not necessarily fit into, let's say, like one frat's party culture, you know, you can always look into other uh, options as well. Um, so the party culture, I. I guess it's similar to other colleges. Some people go mad. Some people um, just like try to keep it like a kickback kind of chill. Uh, One funny story I have regarding that is um, there are different programs um, in in Berkeley. There is a program called MET in particular. It's called like engineering technology, those sides. Um, And then I got invited to a party there. So I went with a few of my friends and then low was playing, you know, like the, the low, the low was playing. So like my friends and I were about to get but, but together, like getting ready, preparing ourselves, the adrenaline, like, let's like, after this beat drops, we're going mad. Yeah. And Apple And then like, we were the only ones apparently going mad because a lot of the people in that party didn't know the song.
1: Oh my So, goodness.
2: so they were like amazed by us, by how they were like, Hey, how do you know the song? Like we've just like played it for the first time. And I'm like, yeah, it's low. And they're like, what? It's like low. And then that was an awkward conversation for a while. And afterwards we left the party, but that's just one example. But to generalize my experience, there are different party scenes you can get involved in and you can choose the level of insaneness, wellness you want that day. So, yeah.
0: Um, Another question I have about your freshman year as Berkeley students, like, I know you uh, study abroad to London first semester, and then you had the experience to live on campus on second semester. So what was it like?
2: Yeah, so vastly different experience. So I was enrolled in a program called Global Ledge. Um, In that case, after you graduate high school, you get like two weeks of summer break, and then you go to college right away. So from June to August, before all the other people come, you um, take a few classes at Berkeley. And then the first semester, the fall semester of your freshman year, you go to London and study abroad. And that was one of the best experiences I had. And I studied abroad multiple times, but being in London was an amazing experience. You can casually be like on a, I don't know, on a Friday morning, you have no classes. You're like, hey, I have nothing to do over the weekend. And then you just call up your friends and hey, like, hey, just want to hop on the train and go to Netherlands for the weekend and like that happens that can happen. Um, That's obviously one benefit. Um, Brexit made things difficult, more difficult, but that's another discussion as well. Um, Studying abroad, it added to the level of independence and autonomy, I had everything you got to do by yourself. So what happened for me was we got our own um, apartments. So the five of us roomed together and we had to cook for ourselves. We had to get groceries. And obviously that wasn't something I did uh, back in Korea. So I remember like the first week or two, we only ate eggs because, well, it's like a group of guys who didn't know how to cook. So we ate like toast with Nutella and boiled eggs for like a week or two. But then uh, we didn't become chefs, but we, did get better at cooking somehow. And then it evolved into roasted chicken, and then it evolved into like some Chinese dish I can't remember the name of. So um, it was an interesting experience. This grew the independence that I needed. um, So that was interesting. Regarding my Berkeley experience, that was also fascinating, because like for international students, it's like the dream to be in America, just like drinking coffee at a cafe, casually working on some college assignments, you know? Well. That was the dream for me, kind of. That's the image I pictured in my head. Um, so that was it. Um, Coffee Strada. I don't know if you're know that. It. That's like the favorite cafe I like to go to in Berkeley. And just, I don't know, being immersed in such a big campus because I, I've never attended a school that big because um, Korean schools are pretty small in size. They're like 30 people per class and we have six classes per grade. And for heck, my high school, um, it was a K to 12. But we only had about 250 students so our graduating class was 18 people and in berkeley the graduating class is like what 10,000. so it's it's obviously um, different in size and just everything was new and because of that everything was interesting um, for me
1: for your uh international in london the time you stayed there did they give you money or did you have to pay with your own money to to live and so
2: Oh, they didn't give money. They they don't have money. <laughs> um, so we have to spend you know, all the money ourselves. And I guess that was also an experience, you know, like budgeting. Just like thinking of how much you spent um, and planning that was also an experience.
0: Um, how are you doing so far um, as a student during the pandemic? I know you're currently in Korea. How are you balancing your leisure time in school, etc.? Yeah.
2: So... In the beginning, it was harder to get used to the situation because I moved back to Korea mid-semester. So last semester, um, which is supposed to end like mid of May, the pandemic began to get a little more serious. So I flew back to Korea in the end of March, I believe. So um, obviously we were confused. The professors weren't confused. Um, a system wasn't ready at the time. So that was a chaos, Um, we didn't, we as students didn't know what to do. And it was hard to accommodate the times. Because back then it wasn't like a testing window open for 20 hours, 24 hours, and you could take the test, it was still set at a certain time. Um, So we had to wake up at like three, 4am to take the midterms and whatnot. And now, Proud to say, got a little better, kind of got used to the virtual education, kind of sad, but that is the case. And as I said before, like it's hard for all the hardships to be accommodated and I don't expect them to be accommodated fully because they really can't. But um, it's—I mean, <laughs> it hasn't been the best experience but it hasn't been so terrible compared to last semester. And that's what I'm thankful for. And obviously I want to go back to campus next semester for spring 2021 but let's see how the situation turns out you talk
1: Um, go ahead justin
0: no i was just gonna say that um sorry to get your hope like i'm not (laughs) trying to say anything bad but like um it's getting bad out here um seventy nine thousand cases um like two days ago and then um it's not looking good but um hopefully people can get back to normal like by summer yeah I had a, another, like, question about the...
1: So you're talking about how big the campus is and probably your classes are a lot bigger than you're used to than, the like, the 30 classes mm-hmm. in them. How, how do you, like, make yourself known to your professors and stuff in a class that's, like, hundreds of people in size? How do you do that?
2: I think the first step is to determine which classes you want to invest more of your time in because um, you have classes you have to take. We call them the the breadth courses, so... We have these seven different areas in which you have to get involved in before you graduate. Um, There's like philosophy, there's international studies, there are just like seven branches like that. So those classes, um, unless you're really interested in in the class you're taking, I personally don't spend as much time and effort in those type of classes. So I I don't feel the need to invest more of my time in those classes personally. But in the classes I do, uh, obviously office hours would be the first step And then in this virtual system, um, commenting on other students' posts and just getting your name out there, participating frequently in Zoom sessions. um, I think that's one way to get your name out there because that's how I know a certain people that I wouldn't have known because they participate a lot, whether that be virtual or on um, live Zoom sessions. So I think that's the case now. Before it got virtual, the way to get your name out there, I would say still participation because um, if you don't talk, there's really no way of getting your name out there unless you want to become infamous but not famous. Then you can get your name out some way. But to get your name out in the good way as possible, I think participation is key.
0: Yeah. John's uh, in a UC system, so he will definitely need those tips.
2: Oh, you're in a uc system yeah i'm gonna yeah damn okay okay
0: <laughs> he's a human biology uh major not biology.
2: biology okay <laughs> personally not a fan of biology so i was gonna like give you shit for that but human biology sounds more interesting than regular biology
1: so. yeah biology is too much for me bro human biology is a lot more specific so it's like i actually like the things i'm listed like listening about in lectures uh you're great man right like transitioning into it so
2: the application season actually opens in a week it opens in november 2nd it closes november 30th so hopefully i'll get in and study business get a degree there how are you gonna if not it's also fine as well imagine something else that i'm interested in because like there are tons of classes i want to take at berkeley and as i said it's a big campus that offers um a huge course load like and I've been taking a lot of classes every semester, but it still doesn't satisfy the, you know, like the classes, all the classes I want to take. I just simply don't have the time to take all of them. Mm-hmm. So hopefully it turns out well, the Haas apps, but even if it doesn't, I still have a list of classes I want to take, so.
0: um, So um, I know you will get in cause I saw your LinkedIn profile. I I, I just started going <laughs> off on LinkedIn for some reason. I just downloaded this morning, like. 3 a.m. And um, I've looked at it and then you have a lot of extracurricular, so I'm sure you'll get in. But um, if you don't, what would be your plan B? I know you say you, you will take um, different classes, but what would be your plan B major?
2: I think the common route for people who don't get into Haas is to choose the economics path. It's, it's a little more theoretical. And some people say economics degree is more useful. Some say it's not. It obviously depends on the person. That's a common route. For me, um, it's a good question. I usually don't really think of plan B's because I want to make sure to myself that plan A will work out. Um, And just like that, having that mindset usually helped me guide things throughout my my life. I am also a declared philosophy major. So my plan was to, if I get into Haas, um, it would be to double in um, philosophy and business. So obviously if business doesn't turn out, I'll still get a degree in philosophy and then I'll reconsider if I want to double major or not.
0: Mm. Yeah. Hey. I mean you're gonna get it. no worries. <laughs> I, I have known you for a while and um you usually get what you want in life and um I admire that. So yeah, you're good, you're good, you're good, dude. Hopefully, yeah, thanks. No, you I, I'm sure. I'm hundred percent sure. Hopefully. No, yeah. no, 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 I know you. <laughs> no. you're No, you getting in. Thank you. Thank
1: you. what, what made you choose to uh, declare a major in philosophy?
2: Philosopher geniuses, man. Um, like who casually thinks about, um, the rabbit, not being able to ch- catch up to the turtle, you know, there's this one, um, paradox that we've studied over, um, uh, fall. It's kind of nerdy, but that's the stuff I'm into so you know just i'm just going to talk about that example in particular you know the race between like there's this guy called achilles and there's a tr- tortoise just like casually walking by and then the conclusion is like the guy can never catch up to the turtle and like we think about it and we go like hey that's insane like you're just out of your mind obviously a human being can surpass a turtle mm-hmm. and that is true but the logic you you can't really debut, and that's like the point of admiration for me in philosophy that it doesn't matter if the conclusion is right or wrong, as long as the process is right, then you're set. And obvious, and I think nowadays people often overlook, I mean, undervalue the process instead of the results. Um, and that that's sometimes unfortunate, you know, it doesn't, sometimes people don't care how you got to the end point, as long as you get to the end point, then it's not, the top, the discussion isn't relevant anymore because you just did your share of the work and you're done, divide and conquer. And that's that's why I found philosophy interesting is that you can be logical, you can be sound every step along the way disregarding the conclusion. And that's why um, I decided to take a few philosophy courses and they turned out to be interesting as well. And then just set up a meeting with my advisor and just ended up declaring it.
1: Yeah, that's. John's
0: interested in min- minoring in uh, philosophy, so
1: I was actually yeah. talking oh. to my counselor about double majoring in philosophy because I like more of like the ideas and the like the conceptual stuff about it. And it seems like right, right, the the analytics of it and like going through these deep processes and getting these like critical thinking skills. What's your favorite like besides the the man Achilles and the turtle paradox? What's your favorite like philosopher and philosophy?
2: philosopher or philosophy I would say utilitarianism specifically mm. Jeremy Bentham oh oh um, Bentham oh <laughs> oh this you know how um so there's a lot of debate on like moral philosophy on like how you define good and all that, Aristotle did tons of work regarding that field. Um, utilitarianists, specifically Bentham, they introduced this concept of like hedonic calculus, where you can uh, categorize yeah. the types of good and bad, and you can technically add those. So like they technically give you points. It's a plus point if you do something good, mm-hmm. and it's a minus point if you do something bad. Yeah. And they they argue that you can technically define what a if you're a good person or not. You can categorize people based on the actions. Of those yeah. plus points and the minus points. Yeah, um, that was super interesting to me, and that was the course I took that got me into declaring philosophy. So, yeah, yeah that'd be the, the case.
0: Ca- the calculation was like, um, you you would not calculate every single thing because, um, you know, some things you just know instantly that it's the right thing to do. I I'm taking ethics courses, that's why I know. Um, I I low key got John into philosophy. I lowkey did.
1: <laughs> this book got me into philosophy, bro. Marcus Aurelius, bro. Meditation, Stoicism, that got me in philosophy. And then you like pushed me into it. But uh, yes, I did. Have you watched The Good Place by any chance on Netflix?
2: I I haven't. I usually have the tendency to, to re watch my
1: favorite shows.
2: Because um, that has been the case.
1: That, what you said about the utilitarianism and, like, the hedonistic calculations, it, like, has a lot of parallels with it, except in there, okay. like, everyone goes to hell, because now that the world, <laughs> <laughs> but it's because, like, now that the world has, like, gone so far and so complex, everything that anybody does, like, giving a flower to your mom, like, there's so many things behind it, so many processes, like, they have to transport the flower and that uses the gas, and then, like, you get negative, like, 100 points for giving a flower to your mom, so, like, so, it's okay. just, crazy like how you I'll make sure to watch that <laughs>
2: that's not yeah, for me it's mo- netflix it's mostly um i used to be in suits mm. into suits and that's what kind of swayed me to get into like legal studies that i'm like okay i just can't decide my future career based on one show so i i ended up not with that mm. but i used to be into suits and then i went on to brooklyn 99 it's a police officer in new york um And How I Met Your Mother is my all-time favorite. I'm also the type of people who think How I Met Your Mother is a better show um, than Friends. So that usually makes me involved in, you know, controversial (laughs) discussions. But that's my take
0: on it. All right, I'm I'm going to ask this question. Um, What are some stereotypes of Berkeley uh, and Berkeley Haas?
2: Berkeley and Berkeley Haas? Yes. I don't want to bitch on Haas too bad because like, I want to get into it. And just in case people see it and I'm like, bitching (laughs) on Haas, you know, I'll talk about Berkeley. So, um, hyper-competition and in most classes, it's not really a stereotype, it's a fact. And that's what I involved, that's what I was involved in, especially if you take the introductory classes, um, the ideal The ideal world in the ideal world introductory classes would get you interested in the material so, for example, if you take an introduction to business, for example. um, It should convince people to pursue business as their field, if you take a biology class the introductory class should convince you to take biology in the future as well, and I think that's kind of reversed in Berkeley, so a lot of the people want to major in econ business math, etc so. The introductory classes, a lot of them at Berkeley um, try to cut people from pursuing the major further on down the road. Mm. Um, thousands and thousands of people take UGBA 10. That's the introduction to business class. Um, and a majority of the people who take that class want to major in a uh, major in business and get into Haas. And the reality is like only a few hundred people get in and thousands and thousands of people apply. So the class's job is to technically, you know, discourage, I don't want to say it this way, but I can't think of a better word at the moment Yeah. uh, to discourage people from going down that path in the road. Um, So a lot of the introductory classes I believe are unnecessarily competitive and hard um, at the same time. Mm -hmm. And for, in the most cases, um, people might still argue that it's a stereotype and not a fact and obviously some people are going to be good in one field over the other but generally and generalizing my experience um hyper competition would be the way to describe berkeley academic culture
0: yeah Yeah, i heard that um ucsb um econ they um they try to cut people out in the introduction introductory courses because there's they don't have a business uh major so there's a lot of economics uh Pre majors, So they try to make the intro econ, like econ 101, I don't know, but like they make it super hard so like they can start cutting out people and then get them into the major and then they can just like uh, work on like theoretical stuff and all that.
2: Yeah, a lot of one unfortunate thing for people like me pre-HAS is that uh, people don't necessarily have a (laughs) good um, image of a pre-HAS student so the stereotype and this is a stereotype not a fact is that the pre-haas people would be like the we the word is like haas holes like haas and then the a word Mm. um, to describe it you're like the stereotype is that you'll become a pretentious banker in investment banking you go into like jp morgan or some shit and then you just don't really do anything good for society but you just be making big bucks you know yeah so i think that would be yeah. the stereotype for Haas and pre-house people
0: so basically i'm trying to pursue a stereotypical thing okay all right
2: hey. no 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 it's like <laughs> it's, it's obviously different and there are tons of great people out there uh, pursuing a business degree yeah. who want to do good for society and i've seen people who do that um, but the general stereotype would be that mm. Because a lot of the times when people look down to business majors, it's often the case that they believe business majors can't really do something tangible. Because if you go into computer science or data science, you can code. If you go into math, you can solve complex equations. But if you go into business, um, a lot of the times, those skills that you developed to develop through taking business classes, you can't show results right away. It's not that you can Make a brilliant code. It's not that you can solve a complex equation. You just learn how to deal with people. Uh, You learn how to plan businesses. You learn how to look at um, statements. Um, So it's those kind of skills. So when people often look down on business majors, it's usually on that, how we Mm. can't produce tangible results right off the bat.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like my parents, when I was like, hey, I want to go into business, they're like, what business no you can't do anything yeah but it's like the beauty about business is that business is in everything like for these people to code for them to like produce these results out into the world you need business to like facilitate that and some people really fail to see that and just like crap on them but speaking about you're like (laughs) speaking about like you're like banking or like the pretentious bankers at haas like what do you what type of career do you want to pursue because you said legal studies from your tv shows and now you're Going to in a business.
2: So just like how I want to take a lot of classes and I simply don't have the time to do so I've considered multiple future career paths and, and that should be obviously a good case for people like me, freshmen and sophomores um, not really declared in one particular major, not knowing specifically what they want to do. My take is you don't really have to know what you want to do. Um, just experience a lot, just go study abroad, just take different classes even double major or minor in anything just like experience as much as you can in college or even if you if you don't go to college just like experience as much as you can because you have plenty of time to decide because if you rush into deciding now um, and then let's say you ended up with some sort of future career path you had in mind that's really going to determine what you're going to be doing for the next 30 40 50 years or even for the rest of your life so if you rush into making the single most important decision in your life you're not going to get the best out of it so that has been well it traces back to philosophy question that, that has been kind of my philosophy in um, taking classes or even just college experience and like even this pandemic is also kind of an experience uh, not necessarily a great one but Um, When you look back, it's going to be like a moment of laughter, you know, like, you know, like kids back in my days, there was this pandemic called COVID-19, and I couldn't go to campus because of it. Um, So that should be my take for me. um, So that should be my answer. I don't know what I want to pursue. And I don't really know. And I don't really want to know what I want to pursue right now at the moment. But um, the experiences I've had particular was regarding the realms of marketing and business development, because those are usually the roles companies open up to for college grads or, or college people, because, um, when you're like a freshman or sophomore, they're not going to trust you to look over like their tax statements or anything like that. They're going to give you um, basic work and gradually move on to giving you more work, mm. more substantial, meaningful work. But, um, that has been my case. Yeah.
0: Um, I just have a really quick question. So what's it like, like the internship, like, um, in Berkeley, like some people come to Berkeley and then meet with students. Um, I just want to know what the opportunities are like, cause uh, I would like to transfer, but it's not going to not like likely to happen, but I would like to know. Just I mean, like-
2: hopefully you, you come to Cal, um, regarding re- recruitment. Um, this is actually recruitment season for us, the prime time. Um, because summer as an incoming junior as an upcoming junior rising junior sorry um, rising junior or rising senior that's when people um, get internships the most Mm. so this is like the recruitment season I believe for people who want to go into banking um, it bank finance in general it's been a little earlier than usual yeah but if you want to apply to the non-tech business roles now that's now's the time and that's why I've been applying nowadays as well and I would say networking is important and people undervalue that because there's just like hundreds and hundreds of applications and you have to do anything that's going to give you an edge over that hyper competition and networking is one way to do so. Hmm. What's the internship culture like? Um, obviously everyone wants to get internships. So it's that's just competitive as well, but that that's the case everywhere to get a job. So
0: hmm. yeah. Interesting. Hmm. I'm probably um. I'm probably late with like all the banking stuff because um. I want to be like Warren Buffett, but um. I know investment banking is really competitive, and then you have to start off showing interest early on in high school, and then um, talk with the people in banking and freshman year in college, and all that, and then get internship, and then yada yada yada, and then end up in the buy side and private equity, and then venture capital and all that
2: but. i mean it's it's not a stable route and i was like it incorporates some form of risk but people who don't go to college even like i i know like a lot of successful people who don't go to college and then just end up like to be the most successful people you know and yeah. whatever you define success as like they become the most successful people and if one of your goals is money like you can still make tons and tons of money like without yeah. taking a business class at berkeley you know or even like getting a business degree in Haas, It's just like tries to increase the likelihood of that happening. But even disregarding that factor, you can still become successful. I'm just doing it for the increased likelihood, as I said. But
0: right, yeah. I mean, if you're in Haas, I mean, if you get into the Haas, um, that's it will definitely increase your um success rate by a lot. But.
2: <laughs> it's just like the presentability of yourself increases, you know, like
0: yeah. If you say, hey, like
2: I got a business degree from Berkeley Haas, it's like that name value that derives from it is is valuable. And that's why people try to get into Haas.
0: Right. Um, Do you have any questions left, John? We're running out of time. I have one really quick question. I hear a lot of people say that like business
1: degrees are only for the name and also like the connections. How do you feel that Mm -hmm. making connections are in this like virtual era?
2: Um, So two things like one about the stereotype and two networking in this situation. Um, So first of all, regarding that perception, people have um, networking is important and name values, obviously sadly are important as well. So when people say, Hey, business majors, just do it for the clout that people say, like, you know, quote unquote, the clout, the networking, the people, but like people are, really important. Like you got to know people, you got to network to just wave, just get your um, job or anything you want to pursue. I've seen somewhere that 80% of the jobs that companies offer are gained through networking. They aren't on job postings, for example. So networking is crucial and business degree is valuable. I know we're running low on time, but networking in this season, um, I've utilized LinkedIn a lot. Um, to reach out and connect to industry professionals and specifically companies i want I really want to get into because recruitment sometimes is a numbers game, so I just apply to like every company possible that has the roles open up that I'm interested in but specific specifically the companies I really want to get into, I connect with the professionals and recruiters mm. particularly in, in that company so yeah that's I've been utilizing LinkedIn and email a lot recently for networking,
0: mm. yeah. I think we got fifty seconds left. Um, I was actually timing. So, um, yeah, thank you for joining us, Daniel. Uh, it was really a fun time interviewing you, and then um, I hope that you have fun in Korea because that's probably <laughs> the only thing you can do in Korea. Um, yeah. So, thank you.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me on the podcast. It was fun talking to you guys too.
0: Yeah, we really
1: appreciate you coming here. I learned like I learned a lot from you and like about the things that you do. And I feel like I've become a better person from it, so I really appreciate that.
2: Whenever you want to chat like more, I'd be interested in doing that as well. So, Hell yeah.
0: yeah! Do you, are you um, do you want to do that right now? Because uh, after this podcast ends, um, he has a Zoom uh premium, so we can talk real quick. Oh yeah,
2: sure. I'll, I'll share the link. Um, yeah. With um. Thank Justin you, on guys, segment. for listening.
0: Yeah. Um. We got three seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, guys, for All listening. Right. Bye. Bye.